You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And we are live with this week's edition, this week's episode of the Standing Room Spartans podcast. Welcome one, welcome all. Uh, Myself, Kevin Parker, joined by the co-host, Scott Martin, today on Valentine's Day. For for anybody out there that's questioning our commitment to the podcast, we are taking uh, over an hour of our girlfriend's time here on Valentine's Day, so... Uh, question that no longer but Scott how are we doing here on this fine Sunday afternoon doing good Kevin uh could be better this MSU basketball team is uh taking some years off my Yeesh. life but we're powering through we're trying to focus on football focus on the future um Super Bowl we were both dead wrong but we can move on from that as well so like I said uh, a couple of good pieces of news on in, in the in the football realm. So we'll we'll try to focus on that, stay positive, and uh, keep looking ahead towards uh, this fall. Yeah, we got some good stuff here to talk about. Of course, we'll mention the new cornerback transfer out of the University of Florida, Chester Kimbrough. Uh, and and this week was Mel Tucker's one year anniversary, if you will. He was hired uh, one year ago on Friday of last week, I believe. So we wanted to kind of reset this thing and see just from different uh, different periods, like different aspects of the program, right? Recruiting, uh, fan interaction, schemes, coaching, everything like that. Just kind of take a peek like, okay, where are we now? Where did we expect to be? And how is it different from the, you know, well over a decade that we saw from D'Antonio and uh, that's going to be the bulk of the episode here today. We got a couple other things for sure that we're going to mention here. We got a couple mailbag questions as well. So uh, we'll make sure we pack this thing in here. We'll, we'll get you on your, uh, on your way on a Monday here. So let's, uh, let's start with the recruiting since we brought it up here. There was a graphic going around. Uh, I need to pull up the exact number unless you have it, Scott, of how many kids we've offered so far for the 2022 class. I know Mel Tucker has made a point of making sure that, that this, this staff is committed to recruiting and and there has been some comments made on both sides of the argument. Well, is it, is it good to offer this many kids? And, and, you know, I can certainly see both sides of of the coin, but in my opinion, you're not gonna, we're Michigan state right? We should be in the mix for all of these kids. We've gotten five-star kids in the past. So um, I I just want to kind of start there, Scott. First of all, do you have that number pulled up of of how many kids we've offered so far? I do. We have so far in this class, 289 offers, this class being 2022, 289. Arizona State paces the country at 357. Her um, getting the boys ready. <laughs> we are in eighth right now. Um, mostly power five teams. Surprising. Well, I don't know if that's surprising or not. I think it's kind of surprising. Arizona state, Kansas, Penn state, Nebraska, Tennessee, Arkansas, and West Virginia are all over 300. And then we're coming in eighth at 289. So um, to put it in context, I know you mentioned Pat Fitzgerald just kind of firing off some, you know, some chirps this week he northwestern's currently 64th in the country so right around halfway yeah just at 48 really quick here to get the exact like pat fitzgerald quote tweeted that graphic and said 
Uh, recruits, if you can't commit on the spot, it's not an offer. Be safe out there. It's your future. Hashtag go cats. So I don't know if this will turn into a debate or not. Um, I don't know if it's been increasing nationally or not. It's been increasing a little bit. Kevin and I went back and ran the numbers on a couple of recruiting classes from years past for Michigan state. So in 2015, we had 177 offers in 2017. We had 216 offers, obviously 2022. Now we're at 289. So steadily been increasing, um, to put it in context around Northwestern, just because Pat Fitzgerald inserted himself into this conversation, uh, this past recruiting class, 2021, Northwestern had 113 offers. So, I mean, look, obviously we can't bring 289 guys <laughs> into, you know, onto campus in one recruiting class. We know that everyone knows that. I guess the challenge I'm having here is that everybody does it right. Northwestern's not going to bring 113 guys in. So it's, I mean, risk reward, but at the end of the day, like where do you draw the line of like, Oh, well you're doing something wrong, but we are not because we only offered 113 guys, you know, I don't know. It was weird. Everybody's doing it. It doesn't seem to cause that many issues. I mean, you hear about a recruit once in a while losing an offer, like right before signing day. I know Florida did that to one kid this year. Uh, but at the end of the day, like this is kind of the way that the game has been played for, for years now. So it was kind of a weird controversy in my opinion. Yeah. It, it normally comes up with the Alabamas and Ohio States of the world where a high three-star might commit early in the process, right? Let's say right now, early 2022 class, there's a year to go on these kids. And let's say, they sign a, a three-star running back that they, they got a good feeling about. Turn the clocks forward. It's December. We're going into the early signing period, and the number two running back in the country wants to come commit. And this three-star that was on the board, their board early, he might get pushed to the side and say, hey, you know, signing day's coming up, and, and we just don't have that spot for you anymore. Now he's got to go find another school. That stuff happens. It sucks. It's, it's not good for those kids, but they'll find a place. They'll find a home somewhere else. And, but it's at the end of the day, like you said, man, like this whole like high horse that Pat Fitzgerald's on. I know Northern Illinois head coach sent out another tweet quote tweeting. it. he said, if you find out your big 10 offer is not real, send us your film. We only have 15 offers out. And I know this because I personally offer each kid and offer is only real. If you have the ability to commit hashtag the hard way, it's like, all right, look, Pat Fitzgerald, like you said, you're, you're offering over a hundred kids. So you're telling me a hundred kids can commit on the spot and, and you're going to have a hundred places for them. That's not true. Uh, Northern Illinois. Well, you're Northern Illinois. And I'm sorry. That's, that sounds like, you know, the, the stuff that Michigan fans usually do. And I don't like being that guy, but you're a Mac school. You're not going to get all these kids. So you're, you have to be more selective. You have to know who's in play for you and who's not. So I just, it bothers me. And what's his name? Thomas Hammock, the head coach at Northern Illinois. If he finds himself in the future as a head coach of, I don't know, a Baylor, uh, a power five school, you're telling me you're only going to offer 15 kids there too. Cause that's the hard way. And that's how you like to do it. Like, get out of here with that. So I don't know. I, I, I like the way that Mel Tucker's doing it. There was a, a piece that Colton Pouncey did that we'll refer to again here. We was kind of talking about Mel Tucker's profile. Really? He's, he wants to offer more than 300 prospects per class. This is part of the plan. Like he, this isn't by accident, but every offer goes through him. This isn't something where the staff, you know, kind of goes rogue and just starts offering kids. Like he signs off on every single one of these dudes. So I, I do think that there is some validity to the argument against it, but at the end of the day, that's just like you mentioned, Scott, that's how it's done. That's how it's always been done. It's probably how it always will be done. And if you're a school that wants to stay on top, if you're a school that wants to be involved in some of these kids, you got to offer them. And if you want a five-star, you got to offer them. Like that's just the way it goes. And 24 seven only has 32 five stars per year. If you're not offering all 32 of those kids, what are you doing? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the way the game's played, like we said. And um, I would say if it becomes a problem in the future, it's a good problem to have. Certainly want to respect these kids and respect their processes, but I mean, it's not a problem right now. We're not, we're not getting 40 commitments in a class and telling kids to, you know, turn around and, and find another home where somebody mentioned, you know, in the, in the uh, replies to that original tweet, you know, you can tell who's desperate. And at first I was like, okay, come on. But at the end of the day, yeah, you're right. Like we are desperate for talent right now. And so we need to look in every corner and we're trying to have a more national recruiting outlook uh, without losing sight of, you know, the local guys. And that just means there's a whole lot of guys on our radar and we'd love to have a lot of them. So, you know, <laughs> you got to shoot your shot if you will. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, for most of these schools, it's not causing problems. So um, I don't know. Pat Fitzgerald, like I said, 113 offers, 289 offers. Where do you draw the line between it being, you know, a problem and it not being a problem? I don't know. But I, personally, I like what we're doing. Yeah. And look, like the, the schools, some of these schools that are on top of these recruiting rankings every year, I mean, you got Penn State's up there with over 300. You mentioned Michigan's well over 200. Miami's over 200. Florida's over 200. Oregon's touching 200 USC LSU Alabama's at 165 offers like that's how it's done and if you if you want to be great if you want to bring in this talent you got to do what you got to do and you can see some of these schools at the bottom that are the exceptions Clemson's only offered 50 kids but I don't know I, I think that's you kind of mentioned before we started like the spray and pray approach like it sounds silly. And of course the staff is more committed than that. They're going to stay on top of these kids. They've, they've talked a hundred times publicly about keeping these relationships and, and trying to stay connected and, and communicate with them as much as possible. It's not just throwing an offer out there and then, uh, you know, hoping for the best they're staying in contact, but at the end of the day, I, I just think it's a silly conversation. Like we're just trying to go after as many kids as we can. And and I respect that from Mel. It's a, it's a different approach than we've had. Like you, we talked about with D'Antonio's classes that we just took, took a couple random samples and we're pretty much doubling up. Like by the end of this, we're going to almost double up both of them. So um, I don't know. It's just kind of an interesting new approach and, and we'll see if it ends up paying off or not, but other news this week, uh, the big news, really, we brought in the transfer corner that we've been waiting for. We've just been kind of sitting like, hey, I know we're going to get a DB or two. I, we're just kind of waiting on who it's going to be. Uh, Chester Kimbrough from the University of Florida announced his commitment to Michigan State on uh, Friday afternoon. So he's coming in. He was, uh, let's see here, his true freshman season at Florida playing behind C.J. Henderson, who was a first-round NFL pick, playing behind Kair Elam, who was first-team All-SEC this year. He's, he's playing behind some studs, and he played 127 snaps as a true freshman, 118 snaps last year in 2020. Of course, played a few less games in general for, for Florida without the non-conference and COVID and all that. So uh, maybe a little bit of a step back in playing time that you wouldn't expect, but it's it's a kid who was highly recruited Alabama Georgia the whole SEC was after him four star on rivals three star on 24/7 uh, but he, he brings in a, the athletic profile we're looking for 511 he's got good size a little thin at like 160 170 pounds but uh, an athlete that that we desperately need here at corner yeah it's exciting um as far as how it projects, I think he projects more as an outside corner, which could, you know, present the opportunity to keep gross inside. Um, I, I'm not sure if that's how it'll go or not, but uh, he'll be a guy that we can bring into campus and he'll be competing for a starting role day one. His film's a little bit um, slim, just as far as the amount and, and the, the actual reps that we've been able to see with him. He released, uh, when he announced that he was going to enter the transfer portal he released uh a tape of mostly practice reps yeah. obviously it made him look really good you know because he's releasing it so he's going to take his best clips but um 
you know, really strong man-to-man corner, a lot of interceptions, a lot of ball skills. We'll see if that transfers to obviously our scheme and, you know, onto the field in game scenarios. But I think this is a guy who, you know, if he's not a lock for the starting role is certainly going to be pushing for a starting role and will be in the, the two deep for sure uh, as we go into this season. So like you said, it, we've been waiting to see who we bring in here. It was a top priority um, for the, this transfer class and uh, we filled that void. So you never know what you're going to get with a transfer, but it's certainly promising and exciting. And, and he, he shows at least if nothing else, you know, potential to, to grow into a really strong big 10 corner. Yeah, and one of the most telling things that we talked about a bit before we hopped on is is when you go into Twitter, the Florida fans seem to be pretty upset they were losing him. And, and I think that's something that you can certainly look at. These are people who are really passionate about their team, who are watching these kids every single play, who are watching the spring games. And uh, when when they're upset that a guy's leaving, it it, it tells you, a little bit about them, right? We, I mean, look at the kids that we've lost so far this year in the transfer portal, right? There's a few that the general fans, uh, general fan base was pretty upset about losing. And then there was a few where like, eh, okay. Yeah. We probably saw it coming and it's not going to kill us. Like the, you can tell the difference between the guys that you, you were projecting to be a part of the team, to be a, a part of this kind of rebuild for Michigan State and the guys that you're okay with leaving. This seemed to be one of the guys that they were keying on to be a starter in the next couple of years. So um, that's always a good sign. Uh, to tie it in, Luke Baker on Twitter. We had a couple of Twitter questions that we'll hit on, but uh, Luke Baker, we got a new addition at corner through the portal. Could be Could a good linebacker be coming in from the portal complete our defense and making us feel comfortable about marching them out against Miami. Um, (laughs) Look, we, we were digging into this man in the transfer portal right now. There are 84 uncommitted linebackers in the transfer portal. Are we going to get one of those guys? Probably. Do we know who it's going to be? Probably not. Is he going to start for us? I have no idea like that. We've talked about linebackers so many times already this offseason that I I just, at this point, I'm just going to wait and see when we finally do get somebody. We'll talk about it. But at this point, there's really not much to talk about. And I've brought up a couple of the names that I thought were interesting, but there's just so many dudes in there now that I'm not going to pour through all 84 of them and and check what offers they had. I just don't have that much time, man. I got a full-time job. This is a hobby. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, no, I mean, it's a two-part question, right? Are we going to bring a linebacker in to complete our defense? We'll probably get someone. Um, Are we, would that make us comfortable marching them out against Miami? I think the answer is going to be no, regardless of who we bring in, we could bring in the top, you know, former five-star whoever at linebacker, and we're still not going to be comfortable going out there against Miami. I mean, at the end of the day, we've got a pretty solid defensive line. Um, They weren't a top unit in the country last year, but they're probably the strongest unit that we're bringing back. You've got uh, cornerbacks who gross. We kind of know what we have, but we don't really know how he's going to be in a full-time starting role. You've got this new corner. We have no idea if he's going to be good at all. Uh, you've got Trey Person at the back end who looked pretty shaky last year. Uh, Xavier Henderson, who you can, who you can rely on. Um, but at the end of the day, like we've we've got holes, whether we get the best linebacker in the country or or we don't find anyone at all. We're going to have holes that or at least question marks that we're not going to necessarily be comfortable with, you know, against the first real strong competition we see in Miami. So obviously we'll keep an eye out. You know, I would say, don't like Kevin said, don't waste your time, you know, pouring over these names because you're pretty much just throwing darts of the blindfold on trying to pick out who, you know, who's going to come to East Lansing. So certainly once we have a name, assuming we do get a name, we'll break that down and see how that translates to who we have on the roster, but there's going to be question marks um, on defense, no matter who it is. Yeah, it, my approach to it is pretty similar with my approach to recruiting, honestly. Like, for example, we just uh, – the, the another part of the big news this week was A.J. Duffy, a uh, pretty highly ranked quarterback in the country, top 100 type kid, listed his top four. Michigan State was in it. 
And of course, is it is it great news that you know Michigan State is in for one of these top top quarterbacks? Um, I think I'm pulling up right now, but he was like top five, top seven at his position in the country. Is that good news? Yeah, it's good news. But he's also got like 28 offers. There, we're just in the top four stage. Like we got a long way to go. I'm not gonna sit and dissect his film, take like an hour out of my day for a kid that. We don't even know if we're going to get yet. So like, that's kind of how I feel about the transfer portal at this point. Uh, Coach Mack, who you guys know from the pod, uh, we'll have him back on soon, but we were talking back and forth the other day and he sent me a graphic that was going around a little bit that made its rounds. There is like 78% of the transfer portal right now is uncommitted and is there a home for everybody? Is there a home for all of these kids? Like probably not. And so the transfer portal right now, it's in a really weird place because is it a good thing that some of these kids are getting the opportunity elsewhere that maybe they weren't getting at their original school for one reason or another in a vacuum? Sure. Um, If there's a coaching change that happens, should those kids be able to go and find another home? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, man, I got it right now. 1,074 student athletes have entered the portal. 299 have received a scholarship. So that leaves, you know, what, 800 kids who are just kind of waiting to see if there's a spot for them somewhere else. So I don't know, man, this, I think the transfer portal has become a lot more than it was intended to be. And I'm really interested to see in the next couple of years, like how this thing all plays out because you're going to see a lot of kids, especially this year who are committing to schools that half of them didn't even visit. They haven't met the head coach in person. They haven't done all of this because of COVID. So I think you're going to get a lot of kids who commit to the wrong schools for one reason or another. And that's just going to be more kids in this portal, more kids that are going to struggle to find a home because scholarships are already full at half of these schools. So man, it's, I don't know, man, the the transfer portal is such an interesting topic in general that I, it's a, we're in a weird place in college football and for a lot of reasons. And uh, the, the portal is certainly one of them. Yeah, I'm definitely, I think it bodes well for, programs who have gaps to fill like a Michigan state, obviously there's a thousand kids out there looking for homes. There's talent all over within those, you know, those kids. And for somebody like Mel Tucker and his staff, that's a good position to be in, but you worry about the kids. Obviously you want to protect these student athletes and make sure that the, you know, the opportunities are out there for them. Um, I don't know if it'll just be a natural kind of balancing effect where, you know, a year or two, we see a bunch of kids who kind of lose their opportunities and that creates a little bit more conservative approach from, uh, you know, future transfer portal or future student athletes considering going into the transfer portal. You know, they say, Oh, well, look what happened in 2021 when all all those 300 kids didn't have anywhere to play. I'm going to stay home. We'll see. I don't know. Maybe, it gets so ugly that the NCAA changes the format in general or the requirements or whatever. We'll see what happens. Um, I'm definitely worried about kind of a, a bubble popping, if you will, and having all these kids, especially this year, we talked about it. You've got all, everybody gets an extra year of eligibility. So you've got guys who were going to leave now coming back and maintaining their scholarships and another class of recruits coming in. And I know they fiddled with the scholarship numbers, um, for this year, but at a certain point, that's going to have to rebalance. And I think it's going to be at the expense of a lot of these kids in the transfer portal, some recruits as well, looking for, you know, somewhere to commit to. So it's a, it's a weird time. I think, like I said, there is a bubble growing in this whole, you know, COVID scholarship situation, I think is making it a little bit uglier than anybody anticipated. Yeah. that That's where it's like a tough balance, right? It's, I want to be pro player. And you can argue that both sides of this are pro player sides. Like if you're the transfer portal guy, you can say, Hey, I'm, I'm allowing these kids to leave with, if they make a mistake to go somewhere without any penalty, 
And I would say, yeah, sure. Like that, that's definitely on the, on the side of the player that they're kind of like, they can become free agents, if you will. And if they made a mistake in their recruitment, they can go find another, uh, another place. But on the same side, I could look at the, the non-transfer portal group and say, yeah, they're pro player because they want to make sure that, you know, when you commit to a school, you know, you have a scholarship. And when you enter this portal, you enter an unknown world and uh, you know, you could definitely make a, a pro player argument that is anti-transfer portal. So I, I find myself very conflicted and we'll just kind of see how it continues to evolve throughout the next couple of years uh, to, to move on here. The last question before we get to our main topic, Spartan bot, our guy Spartan bot one eight seven seven zero said, uh, with the additions at running back, what role do you see for Connor Hayward next season? Scott, I'll let you take this one. <laughs> Probably more than a lot of fans want. I'll put it that <laughs> way. Um, it's going to be interesting for sure. I think you look at, I don't want to draw too many comparisons, but like a Thomas Kithier on the basketball team, right? Somebody that the coaches think does a lot of the little things well. Connor Hayward, he's a good run blocker. He can be trusted in, in a pass catching role. Um, you can't, I mean, his running is one thing, um, but he's going to get, he's going to see the field because he does a lot of those quote unquote little things well. Um, it's going to be less than last year, certainly, because I think, we're not going to be trying to force him into an actual running down role very often. Um, but he's going to be on the field. Honestly, I think it's with, what did we say? Like six legitimate running back options next year. It's really hard to project anyone's role, but we know Connor Hayward is trusted by the coaches to do things like run blocking and pass catching. So he's going to be on the field, especially early in the season as we kind of test the waters with these newer guys or these younger guys. So um, I don't know. We'll see. He'll be out there though, for sure. Spring practice is coming up in just over a month. And we're going to detail before spring practice kicks off, we're going to do an episode about position battles and just to kind of get you an idea of what to be looking for. As you see all the reports coming out of, Oh, this guy's looking good. This guy has been disappointing. This guy hasn't really been getting on the field with the ones like all of this kind of stuff that starts coming out in spring ball we're going to do a, a position battle breakdown before that, just so you know, kind of the, the most interesting things to look out for this running back room, man. It's, it's fascinating because you have Eli Collins is still here, right? He's, he's the only guy who's ran for, you know, damn near a thousand yards in his, in his uh, year in 2019. You have Jordan Simmons, you have Harold Joyner coming in from Auburn. You have Kenneth Walker coming in from Wake Forest where he was a feature back there. And then you have Connor Hayward who has touched the ball over 300 times in his Michigan state career. Like he's just, he's not just going to go quietly into the night. Like, do I think he's going to have as big of a role as, as last year? Like Scott mentioned, no, I don't, but he's going to have a role and I want everybody to be prepared for that. Like I it's, I, I think I can speak for a lot of people in saying, I kind of just want to see him done at Michigan state. I just, I, I think we're, we're ready to move on and his time has been very shaky throughout most of it, but I just kind of ready for him to move on and for us to, to find other guys to touch the ball. But yeah, I mean, he's got over 300 touches. He's not just going to go into his last season and, and get two touches. Like I think he's had conversations with the coaching staff before he decided to come back. Like he he's talked to them and said, Hey, like, what's my role going to be going into this year. And and so I think he's already got an idea of they've been telling him this, or they've been telling him that. So I don't know, like, will he just be kind of the third down, third down back that could be, will he be just kind of a, a guy who can, who can spell any of the other backs at any given time, take a couple carries out of the way for each quarter to give the guy a breather for a play or two. I don't know, but he'll have a role. I, I don't know what it'll be, but he'll definitely have a role. Um, let's, let's move on here. Cause I want to give some time here for our main topic of the day. Like I said, we're just past the one year anniversary of Mel Tucker getting hired at Michigan state. 
weird situation surrounding it, having to, uh, you know, we offered him, he denied us. We came back with a stronger offer and, and he ended up taking it, comes into town and we now have a year under our belt. And we're going to kind of look at this through a few different lenses. Like I mentioned, obviously the on-field success and and what we've seen through a full season of him some of the coaching staff changes that he made, some of the scheme changes he's made, the recruiting. Um, and we'll kind of touch on a little bit of all of it. So Scott, I'll let you kick this off. Like, where do you want to start? What really sticks out to you with a year under Mel Tucker uh, heading up the program? Yeah, to me, I mean, you mentioned it. you've got your on the field and you're off the field kind of results. Um, approaches if you will you know this time of year I, I find myself getting very caught up obviously in the off the field stuff you've got your recruiting and your social media and everything like that you know the hype train if you will um, is rolling and it's easy to lose sight of the fact that at the end of the day your success as a football coach is judged by your wins and your losses um, so I want to keep that in perspective but as we look at it now in the off season, you know really the thing that sticks out to me is just that Mel Tucker feels like he has brought our program into the modern age of college football. And that's not a detraction from anything Mark D'Antonio did here. Uh, but it did feel like the last three, four or five years of D'Antonio's era, they were just kind of stale. You know, they were doing the same things they had been. Their social media was like, I don't want to say the bare minimum, but it wasn't like thrilling you know it wasn't getting you too excited it was highlights here and there it was announcements um you know the uniforms were kind of stale earlier in in his tenure he had like the pro combat uniform that you know everybody went nuts about and then later you know they hardly really sprinkled anything new and maybe you know an all white or something but uh it, it just feels like mel tucker he's more in tune with what recruits and what these younger guys coming into programs these days really get excited about and want to see. And, and obviously you have to, you know, be a good football coach and you have to keep an eye, not keep an eye on, you have to focus on developing these kids. Um, and he's still doing that, but it, it feels like he's doing all of the little things, you know, off the field that, that really make MSU feel like a modern brand. That's the biggest takeaway so far that, that I've kind of noticed. Yeah, his social media is always full of stuff. He's back on his, now it's the off season. He's back on his sneaker Saturdays. He's posting his sneakers every weekend. He's doing all of this kind of stuff. He's He's got a really impressive graphics team that we've we've praised for, you know, the whole season basically with some of the stuff they're putting out for the recruits. And he gives them that freedom to to go out and, and really be creative and, and, make a, an impression on these young kids. And I think it means a lot. Like when I was in high school, I remember like my basic Photoshop and I would like put some little edit on a picture of, of me uh, on our high school team or, or me kicking. Cause I, again, kicker pride. I was a kicker. I'd find a picture from the newspaper of me kick and I would do some like edit and think it was just the coolest thing in the world. Like, it might seem silly to us now because we're older, but when you're a 17, 18 year old kid, like that stuff is so cool. And when you got a graphics team, that's putting out the stuff that they do week in week out, it makes an impression on these kids. And and that starts from, from the top guy that starts from Mel giving them that uh, basically green light. to so like, yeah, make these graphics, go, go reach out to these recruits, like post this stuff all over Twitter. And so it is a bit more modern. And, and we talked, you just mentioned the jerseys, right? How long has Michigan state been begging for the gruff Sparty helmets? And he, he pulled them out his first year. Like he found a way to make it happen. Cause he was on Twitter. He was doing like Q and a stuff all off season last year, asking fans like, Hey, what do you guys want? As we kind of turn the page to a new era of the program he saw enough people that were tweeting about gruff Sparty and he was like, all right, we'll make it happen. And he did. I think that stuff is so cool. And it might seem silly again. It's like, Hey, we're a football team and we're talking about this stuff, but no, it's, it's cool. It's different. It's, it's a breath of fresh air, whatever kind of analogy you want to use. But 
I, I really do like that. He, he understands the modern fan base. He understands the modern high school athlete and it seems to really be paying dividends already. And we'll see how it continues in the next couple of years. Yeah. And then you look at on the, the flip side of that, well, not the flip side of that coin, but kind of the other side of the program, the on the field results, you know, what kind of schemes uh, are we running? What kind of coaches have we brought in and how are they doing? Um, and this one is obviously more of a question mark at this point. Um, we went, you know, we had a, <laughs> up and down more down than up season last year um and it was his first year there was minimal expectations the games we won we weren't really expecting to win and the games we lost some of them we weren't necessarily expecting to lose so there's a lot more question marks i think this year is certainly the first year where he's going to have to show some consistency beat the teams you're supposed to beat steal a game or two you're not supposed to win and uh and keep growing and building a program from what I'm seeing I mean they haven't obviously they don't really announce this is our season's goal this year but kind of the vibe that's been coming out through social media and other channels is is just get better look better than last year play better than last year I'd say personally if I'm putting a goal on it I'd be looking to make a bowl game this year I think that's a very reasonable goal I think beyond that you know eight and four something like that is is a really would be a very strong year for where our program is I think if you make a bowl game this year's a success um the coaching I would say more hits than misses there's definitely a couple guys in the coaching staff more on the offensive side where I'm like, I need to see more at Jay Johnson. You know, I'm not showed some things that were kind of promising in spurts, but at the end of the day, offense still looked pretty bad last year. A lot of that maybe is due to the quarterback play, but you know, he's also our quarterback's coach. So a guy like Jay Johnson, he's still got to prove himself. Most of the coaches I think are doing really well. Harlan Barnett is clearly attracting top recruits. These guys who are committing to us are saying, I had my eyes on Michigan state because coach Barnett and the MSU program create NFL defensive backs, guys like that, that you want to keep them on your program. And he has the results to prove, um, you know, that kind of success. So I think it's trending in the right direction, but I think overall the on the field product it's, it's really going to come down to what we see this year. I, I don't think we have enough of a sample size to really draw any kind of conclusion yet. Yeah, the coaching staff stuff is interesting because, like you said, it's hard to really measure one way or another after just one year and not even a full year at that. But for me, you start to see the vision and what Mel is anticipating this being at its peak. And you have a handful of coaches who have experience, whether it's coaching or playing in the NFL. And I think that's a big deal to say, okay, we know what it takes to get there. When you're talking to a high school kid who believes that he has an NFL future, which almost all of them do, right? If you, if you're a three-star and up, basically, if you're a kid who's getting recruited by power five schools, you probably have ambitions to play in the NFL. And so when you have a, a coaching staff that's littered with dudes who either played or coached at that level, I think that's a big deal. You bring in a guy like Jason Novak, who's the strength and conditioning coordinator, who like has a little bit of a different approach. And he he was in the NFL for 11 years, I think, with the Tennessee Titans. And he was at IMG Academy last year, and they had like a really scientific type approach. Like IMG, again, back to Colton Pouncey's article, there was a really interesting piece where they were talking about him and what they had at IMG, this is a high school, mind you guys, a high school granted, you know, for, for superstar athletes, but a high school, nonetheless, a 10,000 square foot weight room complete with tablets and cameras at all machines in order to monitor technique. There's also a state of the art recovery room and a mind gym designed to improve hand-eye coordination, depth perception, peripheral vision, and reaction time. And again, Colton Pouncey and on the athletic does a great job kind of detailing a lot of this stuff, but it's, that's a totally new, like modern approach to it. Recovery, like depth perception, your, your mental capabilities. A lot of this is new. It's not that you, you think of the strength and conditioning guy, you think of just some meathead who's throwing up 300 pounds on the bench press 
and drinking a protein shake while he's doing it. Like it's a new approach this, this uh, you know, this decade. And I think Jason Novak is a good example of that. And somebody that Mel was targeting to bring in. And so, yeah, I think the staff, you, you see the vision bringing this game to the modern world, bringing this school and staff to the modern world and we'll see how it all pays off. But I, I do like the vision. I do like where it's headed so far. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, obviously, like we said, it's going to come down to on the field results, but it, it feels like we are aligning ourselves with the top programs in the country to the degree that we can, you know, with the stature of our program. I mean, uh, we're traditionally a middle tier power five, middle to upper tier power five program. And the goal for a program like that should be to get to the elite level. Um, and we've been there, you know, we've touched, we've scraped that level, obviously under D'Antonio and predecessors even before then, but, you know, Mel Tucker wants to be a Georgia in the big 10, you know, he, he has experience playing in or coaching, I should say in powerhouse programs. And that's where he sees Michigan state going and he is doing the things and setting us on the path to get there. Now it just comes down to execution and, uh, and winning football games at the end of the day, that's, that's, what's going to bring all of this, you know, full circle. And, and it's going to make it all worthwhile. If you don't win football games, some of this stuff starts to look dumb, starts to look, you know, cliche or chintzy. And if you win football games, it looks smart. You look like a genius and you look like you have, you know, everything kind of all your ducks in a row. So um, big year here, but it's, it's exciting for sure. I'm still, I, I would say I'm just as excited, if not more excited to have Mel Tucker as our coach, as I was when he was hired a year ago. Yeah. It's, it's funny too. Like I was just about to mention that because that was kind of my question was how do you, how do you feel compared to where you did last year where anytime there's something brand new, and this is why we love like national signing day and the recruiting, because it's something new. It gives you hope. It gives you excitement. It's something new on the roster. You're getting a collection of around 20 kids every year that are brand new and that are a ball of clay and that you're excited about what he can be, what he, he can turn into. So of course, when we hired Mel Tucker, I, I think most of us, certainly there's the pessimistic fans at every program and, and we're definitely not short of them here, but you have most people that are going to be excited about it. And so after a full year, especially after a, a year where we finished a shortened season again, but two and five with again, a loss against Iowa, 49 to seven a loss against Indiana 24 to nothing Ohio state 52 to 12. Like when you have three blowouts to that level, you lose to Rutgers on the opening game of the year to still be confident, excited, hopeful for the future. It does feel a little bit weird, right? Like it, it when you put it all on paper and say, yeah, we hired this new coach and there were some circumstances we had to deal with, but we lost to Rutgers week one. We got blown out in three games this year. Um, the last game of the year, our lasting impression was us having the best first half we played all season and then just getting routed in the second half by Penn state. It seems really weird, but again, like we beat Michigan on the road, which felt like a lot bigger of a win at the time than it turned out to be given Michigan season in 2020, but that's still obviously a huge win with everything that was at stake with the rivalry game and everything involved and a top 10 Northwestern team. Let's not forget that. So it, it's weird, but I, I wanted to mention really quick because I, I talked about it, like this kind of NFL approach. I do want to leave open because it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes uh, Arizona state right now, we already mentioned them once, um, and we've played them two times recently. So it's, it's a relevant team. Herm Edwards coming from the NFL, coming from actually an ESPN job to take the job at, at Arizona state. And a lot of people were really critical of the hire. And since then he's brought in a lot of his coaching staff, his former NFL coaches that he used to coach with former NFL players that played under him. It's a very NFL style approach. They're recruiting is very similar to Michigan state where it's an NFL approach. You have height, weight, speed measurements. You have some of these boxes that dudes need to check or else they're not even getting looked at. 
and they're doing a hell of a job there at Arizona state. They've taken that program a totally different direction. It's working for them. You compare that to a school like Illinois who brought in Lovey Smith, who tried to do a lot of the same things. He brought in NFL guys. They took an NFL approach and fell flat on his face. So I do want to leave room to say like, just because all of this NFL stuff that I talked about, which I do like, it doesn't mean it's going to work. And and let's kind of, uh, let's understand that it, it's not a guaranteed method for success. It's worked for some schools. It hasn't worked for others. So I just wanted to make sure I mentioned that as well. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like I said, a few times, it comes down to winning games. Um, and that was the biggest question mark when we hired Mel Tucker was, you know, he, I think he was four and five in his first year at or his only year at Colorado, which is, was his only year as a head coach on any football team in his career. So he's never had a winning record. He was two and five under us. So, um, or maybe five and seven, cause they played 12 games uh, at Colorado, but in any event, he's never had a winning record. He's never broken 500. The question's still out there. Can he win games? Um, and that's obviously the biggest question that, uh, you know, any football coach has to answer for, this past year, I'd say, you know, even before we kind of knew how, you know, the coronavirus was going to impact the season, people were already saying it's a year zero. He was hired late. He doesn't have any of his guys. We don't know what kind of coaching staff we're even going to be able to put together this late. You know, he basically gets a hall pass for this year. We only added more excuses to that fire. Um, not to say the season can't be ignored, but just to say there's really, I I've personally feel like we can't really draw any conclusions of any merit from the past season that we saw when it relates to what kind of coach Mel Tucker is going to be. So this year, year one, um, even if, you know, the coronavirus has impacts this year, we'll see, but we know how to, how to work through that environment. Now we know it's coming. So at the end of the day, you got to go out there and win games this year. I think, like I said, if, if we can make a bowl game, we're on the right track. If we can't, people are going to start asking questions, but uh, I'm still excited. So I want to wrap this up with a two-part question. And this is going to be a, a scale of your confidence that one of these two things will happen. So we'll do the, the one to 10, right? One is there is no shot in hell. This isn't happening. 10 is I am a hundred percent guaranteed. I will put money on it today. This will happen. Okay. So the first part is the best run that Mark D'Antonio had and the peak that Michigan state football has had. You could say since the sixties was between 2010 to 2015, six seasons, Five of those seasons, you had double-digit wins, 11-plus wins to be exact, and five of those six seasons, you finished in the top 15 at the end of the year in the AP poll, 14-11, unranked in 2012, number three, 2013, number five, 2014, number six in 2015. So uh, a, a stretch of six seasons where five of those six were top 15 to finish the season, 11 plus wins. What is your confidence that Mel Tucker can put together a run of that magnitude of a, a, a consistent run of six seasons where you're putting out consistent winners, consistent contenders for the big 10 conference and in the national uh, scale, as far as like, potentially knocking on the door for a playoff in terms of getting to a new year's six bowl, which we did a couple times in that run. So what's your, your confidence of getting to that point where Mark D'Antonio was. So I know we just spent the better part of a half hour piping up Mel Tucker, but if I'm being totally honest with you, I'm going to put it at like a three and a half, not because I don't believe in Mel Tucker, but because that is a very hard thing to do. Um, you have to do a lot of things right, and you need some things to just fall your way. I mean, let's face it, some of those seasons under Mark D'Antonio, 2015 in particular, we had a lot of breaks that, you know, accumulated in a great season. And breaks are part of college football. So I'm not saying, you know, we got lucky and didn't deserve what we got, but there were a lot of kind of knife edge 50, 50 situations that we got the better end of. And those things don't happen. And Mark D'Antonio's legacy is entirely different at Michigan state. So 
even if Mel Tucker can do everything right and, you know, get this program in a position to have those opportunities, you still need things to fall your way sometimes for that to happen. And at the end of the day, the Big Ten's never been stronger than it is right now. I mean, this is the the battle for recruits and the on the field battles are just their battles every single time. I mean, they were talking about it in the MSU basketball broadcast last night. It's similar where top to bottom, these teams have the resources to really be competitive in these sports and you cannot waste a day in these battles. And it's just, it's a really challenging environment to be excellent in and I think Mel Tucker has the potential to take us there, but it's, there's just so many unknowns at this point. And I think when you look at all in all in a vacuum, you know, take my biases out of this, more coaches are unsuccessful in college football than they are successful. So a lot of questions to be answered. I think we should revisit this question same time next year and and maybe do it every year while Tucker's here. But right now I'd put it at three and a half. You make a good point with the competitiveness of the conference because You have Ohio State, who's a perennial national title contender. They're bringing in a top two or three recruiting class every single season. And that's tough to beat, right? Even when we were competing with them 2013, 2015, they were a juggernaut. Like, don't don't make any mistake. We beat great Ohio State teams. And for all the Michigan fans who want to say, like, well, you were only good in that run because we were down. Like, no, 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 we were beating Ohio State, who was damn near at the top of their game under Urban Meyer. So I don't want to hear any of that. But the rest of the conference at that time, you make a good point, was not as good as it is right now. Because right now you have Rutgers, Greg Schiano's in town. There's a new sheriff in town there, and and they looked so much better than they did, uh, you know, the last few years. I mean, this year alone, in 2020 they went three and one on the road like that's that's insane to say for Rutgers football in division in conference play they went three and one on the road which again you can make your arguments about there's no home field advantage in any of that but that's a a huge leap Maryland looked a hell of a lot better at times last year than they than they had in the past you have Indiana who's made huge strides you have Penn State who yeah, they went off to an early, uh, a bad start early in the year and then rattled off five straight wins or four straight wins to end the season. I think they're going to be just as good as they have been the last few years. Michigan is going to be back. Like it's a tough Big Ten East. So with that, I'm going to give it, I, you said three and a half. I'm going to say four, maybe four and a half. Like I, I want to say five, but like you said, it's just so tough to have that run of consistency where we're talking with D'Antonio five out of six seasons, you were a true contender and that's just so tough to do. And so with that, now the other side of this coin is I'll give you the last four years of Mark D'Antonio. So three and nine, 10 and three, seven and six, seven and six, what's your confidence? Le- I, I shouldn't say confidence level. It's a weird way to put it, but like how, how sure would you be that that would be the result of just, you know, a kind of one pretty good year, one bad year and a couple middle of the road seasons, as far as like big 10 standings go uh, is, is that more likely? Is that more of what you're expecting? And would that be like a crushing disappointment? So are we talking at least that result or exactly that result? Something right around there where like you're just kind of a middling Big Ten team. You have a bad year, you have a good year, and you have a couple very average years, right? Where you're just, you're not contending for anything. You're, You're even having one season with three and nine in there. You're not a threat, let's say, but you're not, you're not a Rutgers, but you're not a threat. I'd put this at like the number that popped into my head, like a seven. Um, Especially if you look at the next few years, I think it's more likely certainly if nothing else, because of the resources that Michigan state has put towards the football program, you know, Mel Tucker, his coaching staff, everything the football team is doing aside, we've, we've put more resources into the program, which should lead to a higher floor for the program. Um, I think when you look at, this next 
like you said, four-ish years versus the first few years in Mark D'Antonio's tenure pre-2010, 2007 to 2009. It's kind of a similar um, series of, of seasons that we're talking about right now. I think that's a pretty reasonable expectation for the next couple of years under, under Mel Tucker. Um, I certainly think, you know, you get, you figure out what you got at quarterback and, and your talent, kind of the stars aligned for one of these years, 10 wins in the next few years seems reasonable. Um, and again, we're not saying we're not going to be better than that. We're not saying we're not going to be worse than that. Just, just in likelihood, I think that's a pretty likely scenario. Um, I'd put it at like a seven. I'm not going to put it at 10 just because like I said, we could be a lot better. We could be a lot worse. Um, but uh, it seems like, like I said, especially early in a tenure, you know, kind of getting the program rolling again, that seems like a likely area to play in uh, within, you know, the, the context and the environment of the Big Ten these days. Yeah, you, you made two good points there. One being the floor of the program being bumped up a little bit. You know, we've talked about the, the assistant coaching budget being doubled with the, the Mel Tucker hiring that was part of his contract. That was a big deal. We have some money pouring into the program. We have his recruiting style. Like I think the years of John L. Smith's four or five win seasons are probably hopefully in the past. Um, I, the way I'm looking at this is I think the most likely scenario and one that I think most fans would be pretty content with is at any given year being like a nine and four football team, a 10 and three football team with a couple seasons mixed in there, 12 wins and a couple seasons mixed in there with seven wins and the difference being a quarterback, right? So you're, you're about a nine win program. If you got a great quarterback for a couple of years, you can go in and compete 11, 12 wins, maybe make a run at Ohio state. If we get them at home. And if, if, you know, we're, a, we're a bad quarterback, we just can't find a guy. We, we recruit it bad poorly for a couple of years. Maybe we stumble into a seven and six here and there, but that that's, I mean, the, the end of this conversation is, is that's kind of where I see this program being after a year of Mel Tucker and seeing the vision and seeing what he's trying to build, that's kind of how I'm envisioning it. And I think most fans would be pretty happy with that. They're consistently winning a lot of games, nine wins per year. That's, that's a solid season, 10 wins, 11 wins every, let's say three or four years. I think uh, people would be happy with that. If the floor is a six or seven win season where you're still getting to a bowl game, I think most people would be pretty happy with that. So that's kind of to, to close out the conversation, I guess, in, in all of this and talking about, you know, what, what the ceiling is, what the floor is. I think that's my kind of expectations here after seeing a year is, is being right there where if you find a quarter, cause that's such a big deal too. And, and you're only going to get them for a couple of years. And we talked about D'Antonio, like, he had a few years in there where he had Kirk Cousins and Connor Cook, and we were competing, we were rolling, we were winning 10, 11, 12, 13 games. And then we had a few seasons with Brian Lewerke, who was okay with early Mark D'Antonio, with Brian Hoyer, who was just okay with, you know, the 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 mishmash of of guys when when D'Antonio or when uh, Lewerke was hurt. Like quarterback is such a big deal. So I think we're, we're about a nine win program with a quarterback. You can compete. If you can't find one in a given year, it might look pretty rough. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that's important to keep an eye on and I think it'll be exciting to watch that quarterback uh, position as you go into this year. Um, they got a few different avenues they could go down and whoever we pick will certainly be setting the tone for the program for as long as, uh, as long as they have eligibility. So uh, obviously you mentioned earlier, we got spring ball coming up. We're going to get our first look at, uh, at this, you know, crop of quarterbacks we've got. Like just and, uh, about a month, I think like five weeks away. Yep. Yep. So we'll see exactly kind of where this staff is evaluating them and, and we'll get our, our eyes on them, you know, for the first time this off season as well. So it'll be exciting, obviously. And uh, we'll be there the whole way with you guys. Yeah. So make sure everybody follow on Twitter, uh, myself at standing room MSU, 
Follow Scott at Spartan Martin 18. Subscribe, rate on Apple Podcast, review on Apple Podcast. If you're following us on Spotify, we really appreciate it. I know they don't really have a review uh, method there, but uh, make sure you're sharing with your friends and family. Again, as spring ball is coming up, there's going to be a little bit more intrigue into everything that's going on. So if you have a Michigan State fan who's like, hey, man, are are we playing spring ball this year? Like, what's going on with the program? Just be like, hey go follow standing room Spartans and they will tell you all the information you need to know once a week on Mondays throughout the off season. So I really appreciate the support that we do have. We're working on a lot of stuff for you guys to keep improving, to keep making this thing better than it is already. So we really appreciate our, our loyal fans who have been with us here. So you can be like the standing room Spartans hipsters, right? Like you're in this first batch, the first season you're like, yeah, man, I remember when when uh, when Mel Tucker got hired and, and we did like the breakdown of it. And uh, I remember his first spring practice and they were talking about it. And I got I got some questions that they asked uh, that they responded to on Twitter. And uh, yeah, that was before they were big time and, and actually had time for the fans. So you can be the hipster, um, but we do appreciate all the support. So have yourselves a phenomenal week, everybody. Um, If you're suffering through the cold with the rest of us, spring is upon us. It's around the corner. We're in this, like the February is like the worst time of the year because winter has already been here for long enough and it's just dragging on. So we're almost there. We're turning the corner here to some nicer weather. Hang on. We'll see you soon. We'll talk to you next week. Take care, folks.